0: Erlon, I will never forget it.
1: Ear Hustle, stories about life on the inside, told by those who live it.
0: Find Ear Hustle wherever you get your podcasts.
2: From WABE in Atlanta, this is Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. Coming up on today's program, it's a fairly new startup called Mighty, and it's being touted as a legal technology provider offering low-cost legal representation with a focus on personal injury claims. And Mighty is also calling out big-time personal injury law firms. But there's a lot of backlash. I'll speak with one of the founders of Mighty, plus noted researcher and health disparities expert Dr. Rick Kittles about his new role at the Morehouse School of Medicine. Morehouse
1: School of Medicine is on the precipice of of some serious major impact as it relates to research, clinical trials, And the advancement um, and the creation and advancement of health equity in our communities.
2: All that's just ahead and more. But first, this lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, appeared today in front of a special grand jury investigating efforts by former President Donald Trump and his allies to overturn the 2020 election results in Georgia. Now, W.A.B.E. Sam Greenglass was there bright and early in downtown Atlanta.
3: Throngs of cameras followed Rudy Giuliani as he arrived in a black SUV around 8.30 here at the Fulton County Courthouse. A squad of Atlanta police officers on motorcycles are making loops around the block. Giuliani had fought his subpoena to appear in person, saying he can't travel by plane due to a recent operation. But then a judge said he had to find a way to get to Atlanta. Asked how he got here, Giuliani told reporters he didn't walk. This week, Giuliani was notified he is a target of the criminal investigation. After the 2020 election, Giuliani came to Georgia's Capitol touting false claims about election fraud during unofficial hearings. The special grand jury has been getting closer to Trump's inner circle as the investigation ramps up. At the Fulton County Courthouse, Sam Glass, WABE News.
2: In other news, Georgia's congressional delegation is presenting two very different messages about the signing of the Inflation Reduction Act by President Joe Biden. Now, Democratic U.S. Senator John Ossoff focused on the cost of insulin being addressed in the new law. This $35 per month cap on the cost of insulin for seniors through Medicare uh, is really significant achievement, and it's one component of the bill that I'm making sure folks are aware of because it's going to start impacting and helping next year. But Republican Congressman Buddy Carter says the new law will not lower prescription drug prices. This legislation goes about it in all the wrong ways. Pharmaceutical companies are the drivers of innovation that deliver life-saving cures to patients. However, this legislation will
4: result in dozens, possibly hundreds, of fewer cures over the next decade.
2: Still, Georgia Medicare recipients will soon be able to take advantage of savings on some on some specific prescription drugs, as we hear from Jess Mador among the massive
0: bills, health care provisions is a two thousand dollars cap on yearly out-of-pocket prescription drug costs for people on Medicare. The package gives Medicare the power to negotiate drug prices. It extends pandemic subsidies to help people pay for private health insurance premiums, and beginning next year, Medicare recipients will pay no more than $35 a month for insulin, a provision diabetes advocates and Senator Raphael Warnock had pushed for all diabetics who need insulin to survive. The Inflation Reduction Act also includes around $375 billion over the next decade to fight climate change and move the country to cleaner forms of energy. Jess WABE News.
2: And finally, the Associated Press preseason college football poll ranks, yes, defending national champion Georgia as number three in the country. Let's hear from Alex Helmick.
4: A familiar foe and a familiar number one tops the list, the University of Alabama. Ohio State was ranked second. Last year, Georgia dominated the regular season, lost to Alabama in the SEC championship, but then won its first national title in more than four decades. The school then set a record for the most players drafted to the NFL in one season with 15 So the team will feature new faces on the field, but those are top prospects as Georgia is one of the best recruiting schools in the country. The Bulldogs open the season in Atlanta against Oregon at Mercedes-Benz Stadium September 3rd. Alex Helmick, WABE News.
2: By the way, the SEC has three teams in the top six spots. And get this, Florida nor Florida State are ranked to start the season. That hasn't happened since 1974. I'm sure you Georgia fans really don't care. You're listening to Closer Look, back in a moment. A closer Look Continues from WABE in Atlanta. I'm Ro Scott. If you got a good beat, sometimes it's all you need, or maybe a good hook. So let's take a listen. To turn your wreck into a check is just a waste of his time He'll be hey. with you to the end giving you peace of mind
1: <laughs> If you have one call to make and you just don't know Call H-O-S-T-I-L-O In the hospital
2: bed Cause you told your car You're laying there with a broken leg and a fractured arm And you ask around for help and they keep telling <laughs> That's good. Mike right. with the <laughs> so you no to call Hey Now Well, we'll just let it play, Kevin. Why not?
1: Right. Call Mike cause I'm telling you so, Mike H-O-S-T-I-L-O
2: That's an actual commercial for a Sandy Springs personal injury law firm. Pretty good beat, not bad. And no doubt you've heard or seen similar commercials and, of course, billboards advertising personal injury attorneys because that's what they do, right? Well, now comes Mighty, still relatively new, and it's touted as a legal technology provider that's going to offer low-cost legal representation. But all this is coming, not without controversy. Mighty is calling out big time personal injury law firms for deceptive deceptive practices and its marketing campaign labels competitors billboard attorneys who overcharge their clients. In fact, there's been a cease and desist letter sent to Mighty from one of the nation's largest personal injury law firms. Let's dig into this a little more. Joining me now is Joshua Schwartin, CEO and co-founder of Mighty. Counselor, welcome to the program. Thank you so much, Rose. It's a pleasure to be here. Let's begin here because you're an attorney. What initially drew you to this this field? I'm curious.
4: So personal injury uh, is actually an incredibly important and powerful part of the law, despite its reputation as sometimes being seedy, mm-hmm. uh, often based on all of the TV commercials uh, and, and billboards that people see. But in, in, in truth, uh, millions of people around the country get injured every every year, and getting those people back on their feet and back to their pre-accident state uh, is incredibly important to society and to people individually. Uh, and so I think it was really the human aspect and the, and the mission part of it, um, as well as the part of the fact that it's an overlooked part of society because of how it's often perceived uh, by the media and by people as uh, frivolous uh, or people chasing money.
2: And you so you work as a personal injury attorney. Did you so you enjoyed the work, right?
4: So, so I, I, I myself uh, was not a personal injury lawyer, mm-hmm. but I actually got my start in personal injury uh, in a unique way. We were a software provider, mm-hmm. uh, to thousands of personal injury law firms all ac- across the country. And so we were able to firsthand see how personal injury firms work, how they operate, how they charge their practices. Uh, And that's really what opened uh, our eyes up to the fact that uh, personal injury is a big business. There's a reason that billboards are all across Georgia. There's a reason that uh, you can't watch uh, many late night TV shows without seeing commercial after commercial about personal injury. And one of the things that we saw that was tragic was that so many of these billboard lawyers um, make so much money, when the clients that they represent uh, make very little. Uh, and they are the, really the ones who get injured and need to recover. And when we saw firsthand that the system wasn't working the way it should, we decided to partner with a law firm called Mighty Law,
2: mm-hmm.
4: uh, which is uh, independently owned. There's no common ownership between my company, Mighty, and Mighty Law to create a better system and a better a way to represent clients right after a car accident or other accident.
2: Well, I want to be clear because we have a little bit of time. So I want to give you an opportunity because I want you to take our listeners how this works. You can use me as an example. Um, I think I might have a personal injury claim. So I head over to the the Mighty website and then I do what?
4: Yeah. So great, great question. So you go to the Mighty website and you would be represented first and foremost by a mighty law attorney. And one of the unique things about mighty law is you will get to try the service for 60 days without any commitment whatsoever, which is something that most personal injury law firms, no personal injury law firm that we know does. They want to sign you immediately. Have you signed the dotted line? So the first thing that happens is you get a lawyer for 60 days. Mm -hmm. Uh, That lawyer charges less than the industry standard uh, of a a, a typical billboard lawyer. Um, And we've realigned the incentives of that personal injury firm to make sure that they're much closer to the incentives of a client.
2: Okay, so stop right there. So you have got 60 days. And someone's going to call me and walk me. I'm going to tell them whatever my situation happens to be. I don't have to pay anything. I don't have to sh- sign anything. I, they're just going to work with me. How does this work, Joshua?
4: Yeah. So, so you you sign a, a legal representation agreement. Mm-hmm. So there is an agreement that, uh, that forms an attorney-client relationship between you and Mighty Law. Um, and in that agreement, you get 60 days to try the service uh, before having to... Actually, commit to anything, uh, any other law firm that you see in the billboard, uh, you would immediately have to sign in the dotted line. Uh, do, by doing that,
2: mm-hmm.
4: um, Mighty and Mighty Law would work together to help with your holistic journey. So, not only would Mighty Law help you file your legal claim against the uh, person who injured you. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we would also help you with a number of other aspects of your case. We would help you file a property damage claim to so you get your car prepared. We'd help you apply for financing if you need to advance money on your case to pay for rent or food mm-hmm. before it's settled. Uh, if you can't pay for medical treatment, we'll help you find and pay for, a med- uh, for medical treatment as well. So anything that you need after an accident, um, Mighty and Mighty Law will be there to help support you
2: on, so are there any other claims that you all offer that's different from bigger injury law firms or attorneys or as you refer them, refer to them as billboard attorneys? Anything else that you think is different?
4: so we, we think everything is different mm-hmm. uh, even from the moment of sign up. so let's take a typical billboard there I, I have never I, I went to Emory Law School. Mm-hmm. And I've never been to a city, and I, and I visit uh, uh, Georgia all the time. I've never been to a city with a higher density of billboards. When you look at the billboards, uh, one of the things that immediately jumps out is the, the large numbers on them. Yeah, We got our clients $2 million. Sure. That is not what the client actually gets. Uh, the client actually gets a fraction of that uh, because that $2 million is often called total settlement or the gross settlement sure uh after that the lawyer takes their fee the medical provider so the 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 thing that you'd expect with mighty um is a level of transparency that doesn't exist amongst personal injury lawyers today uh so not only are we helping to tell you the truth about your case so that you know what you're getting into um but we're actually providing the service at a much lower uh cost but don't you think uh, people
2: if someone has a claim that's going to Possibly pay out in the millions. Don't you think most people know that they when they go to a, well, it's a, a, per, a small time or big time firm. They know they're not going to get. There's going to be a percentage, and they're going to be fees. Do you think folks know that?
4: Uh, people know broadly, but mm-hmm. the number the number one thing that we've learned after interviewing hundreds and hundreds of people after accidents is they're shocked at how much that percentage is. Uh, their lawyer takes between thirty three and forty percent their doctor takes between 20 and 30 Mm percent. A finance company will take um, a large percentage. Uh, And people who have claims and they're only going to get 20 cents in the dollar, they're surprised by that. And some of them even say that they wouldn't have brought the claim had they known Mm -hmm. uh, that uh, they were only going to get so little.
2: And so here comes the backlash, Joshua, because you cite Georgia, this is your quote, as the epicenter of efforts by the plaintiffs, Bar to oppose mighty law. So let's get into all this. Who, I guess I know, but there are a lot of folks that aren't happy with how you all are advertising yourselves and then also going after your your competitors in a sense. And are you being fair? So let's back up a little bit. Um, What's been the backlash? Tell me what you've heard. Read some emails. What you got? Yeah. So, So
4: the plaintiff bar is a very, very unified group. They all charge the same thing. They all have the same services. The really only way they differentiate is their branding. And when we announced that we had a lower cost, higher service, more transparent service, uh, we got uh, unbelievable backlash. And I'll give you a few examples. Uh, We had lawyers on social media, personal injury lawyers, threatening medical providers that if they worked with our clients, Mm -hmm. uh, that they wouldn't get their business as well. Uh, We had the largest law firm uh, in in Georgia, Morgan & Morgan, uh, uh, send us a a cease and desist and threat of imminent litigation. Uh, We had um, uh, a billboard campaign uh, that we were going to be putting up in Georgia that wasn't targeted towards consumers. Instead, it was trying to dispel myths uh, of the personal injury billboards. So we were revealing secrets. So you were trying other... to get a
2: billboard to talk about other billboards.
4: V- very <laughs> ironic and meta. I know. Um, and the billboard companies rejected us.
2: We'll get the to that in a moment. Com- well, well, Joshua, I mean, come on, we'll, we'll get to that in a moment. But look, we should know closer. Look, we reached out to Morgan and Morgan about issuing that cease and desist letter to mighty their senior communications manager, Leslie Patterson stated in a response Quote, hello, Mr. Morgan has already commented on this matter, close quote, and then forwarded a link to another article where they, Mr. Morgan went on to say they welcome all competitors. But in that cease and desist letter, what was their charge? Were you all falsely making accusations against them or just in the industry against these billboard lawyers?
4: So they, they, they took exception to us showing up when people searched Morgan & Morgan on Google. Uh, which is a common uh, practice that is widely accepted uh, and used uh, by people to distinguish products against another. So we want to use Google to say Mighty is less expensive than Morgan and Morgan. They didn't like that, um, and they and they sent us a cease and desist in order to try and intimidate us. Um, but uh, we we really viewed that as an opening salvo uh, into a much larger. A uh, coordinated campaign by the plaintiffs' bar to uh, really stop a, a new entrant into the market uh, because it's it's very important that there's competition um, in in markets and in personal injury uh, everyone charges the same thing everyone offers the same service and people feel threatened by a new entrant well, like let us. Me, let
2: me ask you this. But can yeah. you understand that perhaps your campaign is? Someone viewing this as unfair, especially because at the end of the day, you all are all attorneys, personal injury attorneys. You're all still trying to help clients and you're painting all of them with just a stroke of a, of a, of a, of a very of a brush. Can you understand yeah, that? Is so, that fair?
4: So, so I, 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 here's what I would say. Um, I know a lot of really, really good people who are personal injury lawyers. Uh, it's not that they're bad people. It's that they have bad incentives. And the incentives that personal injury lawyers have are not aligned with the incentives of their client. And one of the things that's important in any system is to realign incentives. There's a very famous Charlie Munger quote, who was a Warren Buffett's uh, right-hand uh, person saying, uh, show me the incentive and I'll show you the action. I don't think it is fair to categorize uh, personal injury lawyers as, as bad people, they're, they're not. Mm-hmm. I do think it's fair. Uh, absolutely, to categorize personal injury lawyers generally as having incentives that are misaligned with their clients. And that, I think, is really what we are fighting against. But I'll tell you a really funny story, Rose. So we we got this backlash and everyone said, you're not being fair. So we asked the entire Georgia community of PI lawyers to mm-hmm. nominate fellow lawyers to debate me. Hey, if it's not fair, let's talk lawyer to lawyer. You guys are trial lawyers. Your Your, your job is to go to court and to fight. Let's talk and debate and have a conversation about our model versus yours. We had dozens of nominations. Mighty's team reached out to each and every person nominated, and not one person would agree to have a sit-down conversation with me debating the model and debating why personal injury needs to evolve in order to serve its clients better. Can you
2: all do what you need to do without criticizing or attacking because that's the word that some use. Other personal injury law firms. You, you know, I, I don't think anyone will argue that. OK, yes, we know that at the end of the day, it is about getting helping your client get compensation. We know that people advertise all, all kinds of things. We know that. Can you all do what you need to do and still offer low cost representation without necessarily attacking and and making a blanket statement, Joshua, about all as you call them billboard attorneys,
4: yeah, r- r- respectfully, I don't think we can. And the reason is that what we found is that uh, substance is is far more important. Uh, and having people understand uh, at their most vulnerable moment mm-hmm. uh, that the personal injury lawyers that they see on the billboards uh, have incentives. Uh, that are different than theirs is an incredibly important public service uh, message mm-hmm. that needs to get to people. And mm-hmm. from from our, from our perspective, if the only way of doing that makes us seem like a villain, uh, which we certainly don't want to be, we're just trying to educate the public. Um, then 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 so be it.
2: Let me back up. So do you all do you all collect anything? If the Injury claim doesn't go through, or does does your customer they don't have to pay anything up front? It's solely based on whether or not the injury claim is settled.
4: Yes, and that's true not only of Mighty and Mighty Law Service, but that's true of all personal injury. And what percentage do you all take? So we take uh, at least ten percent less uh, than they do. So they being
2: they being the billboard attorneys,
4: the billboard attorneys, yeah. And what's and
2: what's typical? But you just gave me a range, Joshua. You just said a range. From 10 to 40 percent. So what's your average then?
4: Yeah. So uh, billboard lawyers charge 33 percent if the case does not go to litigation. Mm -hmm. Mighty Mighty charges 30 percent or less. Um, uh, And if a case does go through litigation, uh, the typical billboard lawyer charges 40 percent. Mighty law charges 37 percent or less. So we're at least 10 percent less. But in addition to being less expensive, uh, there's a number of other benefits as well, such as us uh, providing m- much more holistic services, uh, help with property damage claims, uh, help with getting financing uh, to pay for living expenses and rent while you're waiting. Uh, so th- there, there's other things as well um, that 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 they
2: get. Now, since you all tried to put up a billboard to talk about billboard attorneys. What was the explanation from the signage company? What did they tell you? They didn't have enough billboards? What? what that
4: <laughs> no, we we had 10 reserved. Uh, they told us that uh, they didn't want a company that was critiquing some of their biggest customers. And that's a, that's a direct quote. Uh, that's exactly what they said.
2: And so you have no billboards up in Georgia.
4: And so, we have, and so we have no billboards up in Georgia.
2: Is Georgia. Mighty available in all states?
4: Um, we're we're in three states right now. We're in Texas, Connecticut, and Georgia. And it's, um, and, and we'll be rolling out more states um, in the in the months and, and years to come.
2: Based on everything that you just said to me, Joshua, you not know, this whole conversation and your philosophy, and you know w- what you all are, are offering to folks, then I imagine is are this is the same qualities, characteristics you want in your attorneys that work with Mighty. How do you know? How do I know that the person on the other end is gonna? treat me based on what you just said.
4: Yeah, so the Mighty Law Lawyers um, are uh, hand-picked. They uh, all have a combination of great legal expertise, personal injury expertise, and something mission-driven in their background. They've been in the armed services, they've worked for the Legal Aid Society. But what's unique about the Mighty Law Lawyers is they all agree to a code of conduct that is 13 promises that are contractual, they're in the agreement, Mm -hmm. uh, that are things that personal injury lawyers don't do today. Charging less, uh, giving people sixty days, giving a refund uh, or, 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 on on medical costs out of their fee, um, and a bunch of other promises that are unprecedented in PI that realign incentives uh, of the of the of them, the lawyers with with their clients in important ways.
2: All right, what do you see next for Mighty Law and this this application that you all have? Is this the wave of the future? You think?
4: So with self-driving cars. Um, and other technology, uh, personal injury cases are becoming easier and easier to resolve. Um, and the old model of a personal injury lawyer charging you um, a, an arm and a leg and only doing uh, helping you settle your legal case um, is is going to uh, be outdated uh, before you know it. Uh, and mm-hmm. so, mighty on the cutting edge of helping people get better services for less for less money than they do today.
2: All right, Joshua, we're going to stay on top of this. Uh, We're going to be checking you out, looking for reviews as well. And if we get bad reviews, you're coming back. Joshua Schwartin, CEO and co-founder of Mighty. Thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, Rose. You're listening to Closer Look from WABE in Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. The Federal Reserve is expected to once again, that's right, hike up inc- inc- Interest rates, this time by three-quarters of a percentage point. Why? Well, same story, different day. You all know that. The Fed hopes to slow demand from companies and consumers pushing up the price of credit. They hope to do this. Meanwhile, prices just keep rising everywhere. And a trend that's been happening for a while now involves Americans 65 years of age and older. Get this, more than 33% of Americans in this age group do not have money, say, for retirement. So one solution has been get a roommate. In 2016, there was a report that revealed 70 percent more seniors were living with roommates more than a decade before those born between 1946 and 64. Well, we call them baby boomers. And now they're also part of this trend known as boommates, looking to share residence. And like everything else, there's an app for that. So as part of Closer Looks ongoing paycheck to paycheck series, that's the focus of our next segment. Joining me now is the president of Silver Nest, Riley Gibson. Riley, welcome to the program.
3: Thanks for having me.
2: Now, forgive me, because I'm looking at you through our comp- You are not a baby boomer?
3: Nope.
2: <laughs> I can just tell. But let's get there. Let's talk about Silver Nest. How did all this come about?
3: Yeah, so the original founder of Silver Nest, uh, her parent, they... they uh, lost a loved one. Mm. And, you know, they had been living with their significant other for obviously 10, 20 years. Um, and so it was the first time she was living alone. She was, you know, struggling financially and eventually found her way to getting a roommate. And that kind of changed her perspective in terms of uh, just having someone else in the house, also mm. stabilizing her finances. And so I think, I think that was just sort of the light bulb for hey, you know, Mm -hmm. graduating from college, we all kind of assume you get a roommate to make finances work. Mm -hmm. Um, And especially with the housing affordability crisis, that's almost assumed, you know, why isn't that the same for older Mm -hmm. adults, especially post-divorce or post-loss of spouse? Um, And so that really began her quest to thinking through what are all the barriers, whether that's social or technological, and how do we build a company, a business around removing those.
2: And so how does civil nets work? I imagine there are some uh, metrics that are used that might uh, be a little bit different than for if someone just just goes online looking for a roommate situation, because we're also talking about older adults here. So you go online, what does the user, what are they going to, what information are they going to put in here? And for, and does it cost, Riley.
3: Yeah. So um, depending on whether you're looking for a place to rent or you have extra space to rent, you can come on to Silver Nest and there's other apps and organizations that support this as well. Um, The the difference maker, the important piece is you start answering questions about not just the space you have for rent or the space you want, Mm -hmm. um, but what is the type of living situation you're looking for? Um, how do you want to share space? Uh, you know, there's there's a lot of questions and things that are a bit more personal that go into a home sharing arrangement. So we really try and facilitate that conversation and bring that out to then, um, you know, match and introduce people.
2: And also, I imagine, if folks, if mobility issues are of a concern, you all vet that on the other side, too, for those who might be willing to open up or share their space.
3: Yeah, there are questions we don't vet that personally, but there are questions just in the process where you can say that, you know, your home is mobile accessible um, and, you know, safety precautions, things like that. So we try and again, facilitate the right conversation. Um, What's been interesting to me is. We see a lot of the people signing up, kind of in that fifty to seventy um, age range, mm-hmm. and you know, again, it's it's typically preceded by a major life event like a divorce or loss of spouse. Um, so they're still very independent. Uh, you know, it skews younger than I would have thought, uh, but it's just an interesting trend to see.
2: What I think is important: uh, what guarantees are you not? Giving, I mean, what do you want folks to know about Silverness in terms of if there's some expectations like you all cannot guarantee that they will that their rent won't be increased if they agree to share a residence with someone? I mean, do you all get in the middle of that? Do you put price ranges in this as well?
3: Yeah. So, again, we really try and focus on just the. The facilitating the conversation, helping people have the right conversation, set the right boundaries, create the right type of legal agreement to facilitate the relationship, Um, you know, the, the who they pick and the ultimate arrangement they create is sort of on the users. Um, That's sometimes where we partner with actual, actually local nonprofits and other organizations that can add a bit more handholding to the process and really, you know, walk people through or certify that homes, um, you know, meet certain accessibility criteria. Uh, So that's where I think there's a nice opportunity for, for partnership. Um, But ultimately it does, you know, like any roommates, it does come down to the two parties agreeing Mm -hmm. on what's, on what's reasonable.
2: Do you offer any suggestions or tips? Do you have a, an area that says, you know, if you are agreeing, once you get past this, and you all agreeing to to do this, I mean, because you all are providing this service, it's like a subscription service, correct? More or less. Yeah, it's a
3: subs- Yeah, it's a subscription service for the matching portion, mm-hmm. um, and then we provide what we call home sharing agreement, which is essentially like a lease, but adds a bunch of other pieces that are really specific to home sharing and this is sometimes what people miss when they're doing these arrangements is you know what what space in the home is shared what things are shared what's Mm -hmm. not shared what are guest policies quiet hours like all of that are things that are really important to set the right boundaries ahead of time and so we we really try and facilitate that process to make sure that uh, you know we reduce the opportunity for conflict as much as possible.
2: On the home seeker plans, you all do a background check, but there's a price to that, correct? Or is it not? Yeah,
3: for both for both sides, there is a, a charge for background checks. Um, we also do identity verification as part of this. So you know, one of the big questions is, you know, how how do I do this? more securely than something like a craigslist or something so that's Mm -hmm. where we're trying to take tools that exist in the world but make them really easy and integrate them into the process so someone can get a background check share their results um you know make sure they are who they say they are those are things we're really trying to weave into the experience and make them easier and more accessible
2: raleigh do you all keep the information or you i guess assess the information in terms of what parts of the nation are you seeing more folks looking uh, for shared residence in a certain age group or are there certain uh, types of, of, I guess, climate that's involved? Like do do you have more folks in the South in Florida where everybody retires? Do you, are you all able to capture that information?
3: Yeah. Yeah. And and some of it is a little biased by where we have put kind of ad resources and things, but you know, I, I would say most urban centers um, were kind of seeing a trend upwards in general. I think you have a bit of a perfect storm with housing affordability, inflation hitting, mm-hmm. um, as you mentioned, introducing this. Uh, you know, a significant portion of older adults are housing cost burdened, um, and so we're really seeing this pop up in in a lot of different metro areas. Uh, And the ones where there are a larger older adult population and, you know, housing prices have increased at a a really rapid rate, those are ones where we see a lot of organic interest.
2: And what about since the pandemic?
3: Yeah, I mean, during the pandemic, I thought interest would completely drop off Mm -hmm. and we did not see that. And I think that speaks to just the, you know, A lot of people were facing, first of all, social isolation in a way that they had never experienced before. We all got a taste of that. Mm -hmm. Um, And then often people were forced into retirement early um, or were making choices about not wanting to continue uh, work or part-time work given the pandemic. So the financial pressures, I think, increased. And so there were still a lot of uh, users and people we saw through the pandemic that were interested in home sharing and since the pandemic has waned slightly and things have opened up and combined with inflationary pressures, that's where we're really seeing interest uh, you know, across the board spike
2: and you know how the rentals like Airbnb and all those worked. Uh, folks get mm-hmm. ratings. Do you all also offer that?
3: We do not offer that currently, um, but that is something we're we're trying to figure out what is our sort of version and point of view. On that, most of the rentals that are facilitated through Silver Nest are, you know, a year long. Mm-hmm. Um, they're longer term leases, and so there wouldn't be kind of the same rate of of ratings coming through. But we're really interested in things like like facilitating reference calls mm-hmm. um, and some sort of rating system.
2: What do you hope to maybe implement for Silver Nest that you all don't have right now?
3: I mean, I think we already hit on it just in terms of the social proof and mm-hmm. and ratings and things like that. And then, you know, we're hoping right now, again, we're focused on on how do we get kind of the matching process as best as possible. Um, and over time, you know, we hope to add to that to really look at what happens throughout the life cycle of a home sharing arrangement. Are there ways we can support that whether it's helping kind of organize bills and splitting bills and things like that, there's mm-hmm. there's a whole kind of set of things that we think we could help with there. Um, and then I think the biggest picture for us is just really trying to continue normalizing mm-hmm. the idea and getting this out there. Um, I think it's still you know we have a pretty myopic view as the culture of mm-hmm. you know you buy your house you you kind of raise a family there empty nest and going back to a roommate feels like a regression we ju- we have users that say like i i'm uncomfortable about this because what am i going to tell my kids that i have a roommate and that feels like i've failed in some way so i think a lot of what we're trying to do is just show the success stories normalize the idea um, because it it really solves a lot of pain points at once for those that it's right for
2: and i saw this listing that said quiet neighborhood fenced fur babies welcomed love that up to up to 30 pounds (laughs) okay (laughs) riley gibson is president of silver nest and we've been talking about this trend where folks older our older population folks 65 and over maybe even younger known as boom mates looking to share a residence and like everything else there's an app for that riley thank you so much for taking time i really appreciate it yeah thank you And closer look continues. I'm Rose Scott. Now the number varies as to the percentage of black Americans who actually participate in clinical trials. And even our research, we were sort of caught in between. One medical journal cited participation as high as 15%, and another as low as six percent. Now we should note these percentages vary based on specific clinical trials. For example, we might find a higher number of black patients involved in, let's say, cardiovascular-related research. Still, It's always been clear there is a great disparity, and not only in the demographic diversity in clinical trials, but other areas as well. Well, noted researcher and health disparities expert Dr. Rick Kittles is now the Senior Vice President for Research at the Morehouse School of Medicine. And among a number of topics we're about to discuss, his vision for implementing additional funding for basic science and clinical research faculty. Dr. Kittles, welcome to the program.
1: Thank you, Rose. Happy to be here.
2: Let's begin with data because whether folks believe it's 15% or 6%, we know that there's always been a huge disparity when it comes to black Americans, folks participating in research and clinical trials. Are we seeing any significant stride made in, say, the last, I don't know, five years?
1: You know, there's been a lot of activity in this space, there's been a lot of programs, a lot of money put into this area. Um, and we'll, we'll see, I, you know, I haven't seen the, the more recent data, but um, for many of the diseases that disproportionately impact people of African descent, you would think that they'd be more participation. Uh, you mentioned earlier, the cardiovascular trials mm-hmm. where you see the, the higher proportion of African Americans participate than let's say prostate cancer or, or, or multiple myeloma or something like that. Um, and, and I think that's probably because it would be interesting to see if 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 the increase in the number of African Americans in these trials is due to a larger proportion of African American physicians and mm-hmm. you know um leading those trials. And so you know, we know that there's a lot of black cardiovascular um, uh, physicians and and that, that could be leading a lot of that uh, uh, that increase that we see.
2: I went back to find a quote, because I remember reading early in the year, it was a piece from MedStar Health, and it was titled Under Community Participation in Research Advances Health Equity. And I went back and I found the quote, and it was this, The relationship between research institutions and many BIPOC communities is estranged and needs mending to dismantle racial disparities and inequitable research practices. Right. And I thought that that was interesting because we research institutions like Morehouse School of Medicine and like Emory, but we're going to focus on Morehouse School of Medicine have been so important. But this says it's it's a strange in many BIPOC communities. Is that a little troubling for uh, you? It it, it is troubling, but I think the the bulk
1: of that. that um, tension between the BIPOC community and these research institutions are because many of these research institutions are, are predominantly white, mm-hmm. led by predominantly white um, uh, leadership. And um, there's, there have been a historical lack of engagement with our communities. And when there, when there is engagement, in many cases, that engagement is limited and it's it's just a you know what we call helicopter sort of research where you come in you swoop in and collect your samples and move on and Mm -hmm. and don't build a relationship don't understand what the needs are of that community um what i find is that for for many uh um, institutions uh like um, morehouse school of medicine where they have this historical relationship with the community we don't necessarily see that level of distrust that you Mm -hmm. see in many of the predominantly white institutions. And that's another reason why I was so excited to come join the folks at Morehouse School of Medicine.
2: And that's my next question, because your institution is so important and given just even the location, the historic location of where Morehouse School of Medicine is located. And you have, if folks don't know, also you're one of the co-founders of African Ancestry. DNA, yes, right? Yes, I, and look, I yes. took it and I found my okay. roots in Liberia. So thank you very much.
1: Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> thank you.
2: But I was going to do that was my next question. Why Morehouse now and in, in where you are in your career and the importance of being here and in your leadership and that vision of what you want to bring in, into your role?
1: Right. So I'm I'm uh, I'm very excited to, to, to be here in Atlanta at Morehouse and in particular in the community in which it serves the it's very interesting morehouse school of medicine is is on the precipice of of some serious uh major impact as it relates to to research clinical trials and the advancement um and the creation and advancement of health equity um in our in our communities and so i i I, it was a no-brainer for me to to come and, and be a part of that change um the uh, the efforts that the leadership and researchers both basic and clinical uh, researchers over the last couple of years has just um, increased drastically and so now we're going to take it to the next level um, I'm going to be working with a lot of faculty uh, the research advisory um, uh, council and, and, and executive leadership to really shore up uh, the next phase of what this looks like and I think actually uh, genomics And precision medicine is where things are going to to go.
2: Now, you just told me a moment ago how important it was to have folks who represent, who look like basically the communities for which we want to get more participation for in these research and clinical trials. But you are also going to focus on clinical research faculty. That's right. Which is That's building right. the pipeline. Are we, That's right. we
1: have to build we have to build the pipeline and, and, and no other place better than than Morehouse School of Medicine, which historically has has done it and done it very successfully. Um, and so we, we are going to focus on hiring more clinical research faculty um, and building that pipeline uh, with the, with the students. So the students go through, you know the the medical school training, and um, and then get um, experience in research and not just research, but cutting edge research that they can leverage uh, when they leave.
2: What role can you all play in in increasing that pipeline before they even get to medical school? Because, as you know, and I've had this conversation with mm-hmm. Dr. Valerie Montgomery Rice about it's been dwindling the percentage of mm-hmm. black men entering the medical field as physicians.
1: Yeah, this is it's we're, we're in, um, you know, it's, it's a very bad situation right now when we look at the the, the, um, the, the proportion of men involved in particular the sciences young men, and so we are very uh, aggressive in our pipeline programs engaging um, students um, from elementary school all the way up and, and we're going to expand that also because we, we you know, we, we definitely see the uh, the landscape and we see and recognize that. Uh, that, that there has to be some um, some change there and and part of it is engagement and and getting these kids excited about science. And getting them um, a mentorship so that they can see themselves and say, "Hey, I can do that." I, you know, he's just like me. He's just like my father and my uncle, mm-hmm. and and and, uh, and and I can I can be just like
2: that. So then, let's talk about the community. Then, how do we mm-hmm. change those numbers? And is there a, si- a significant or I guess a a, per, a metric that you want to use in terms of, "Hey, Rose, if we can get black participation up to now," and I'm throwing this number out there, and you're going to smile, thirty-seven percent. Mm-hmm. You know, how do you so, how do you do that?
1: Well, I, I think I think it's not a, it's not going to be an easy uh, task. I think it has to be sustained um, engagement with the community and the building. And like I said, the building of trust, you don't just come in when you get some money from NIH or from some um, pharma company and say, I'm, I'm doing this project. Uh, you know, I want you to participate. I want you to participate in this trial. There, there's a lot of of um, of engagement before that happens. Mm-hmm. That's so critical. And and so we have you know um, uh, enormous capacity in that space at Morehouse School of Medicine, and so that's another reason. Like I said, I was very excited because we can actually do that engagement. We've been doing that engagement, and now we can expand that in the context of precision medicine and and, and clinical trials.
2: Well, then let's talk about you for a moment and your leadership style and how you hope then to to get everyone to first of all, you have a vision. You also be working with the dean and the president. But in your leadership style, are you open to making sure that it's not necessarily, hey, it's Dr. Kittle's way or the highway? But also, <laughs> that we're yeah. Listen, sometimes folks <laughs> get a tight on. It's like, oh, you know.
1: Right, right. No, no. I, I think I think part of my career has been a learning process, and and um, you know, I, I started my career doing health equity work before it was considered health equity. I was, you know, started my career at Howard University. We were studying diseases that disproportionately impact people of African descent, mm-hmm. which then turned out to be considered disparities and health equity. And, and, and then I had different um, gigs throughout different um, organizations around the country. And I learned a lot about leadership. And I learned a lot about how to um, in, in, instill change in institutions. And um, I'm not saying that this is going to be an easy task, but mm-hmm. I am going to say that um, it's not just going to be my way or the highway. Uh, th- there's a lot of talent at Morehouse School of Medicine, it just needs to be tapped and leveraged.
2: I know that folks in your space, we have been moving away from that term disparity and moving toward health equity. But health equity is, is can't it can't be achieved just alone with, with Morehouse School of Medicine. It mm-hmm. takes the local, the state, the federal. Yes. And as you yes. know, that can change depending on who's in the White House. How do yes. you navigate through all that? Because you will need funding.
1: Rose, that is a great question. That is a that's a that's a spectacular question. When I when I, you know, I, I, I when I look across the landscape around the country and and think about this issue of health equity and how can we really make substantial, sustainable change, it's much more than just a research project. It's much more than just setting up some clinic in the community. There there is a level of of education that has to um, roll out to the community to to these families. To these individuals, there's a level of of um, advocacy, um, uh, t- t- advocacy to um, to uh, uh, researchers mm-hmm. and also to healthcare providers around particular um, issues in health. And then there's this issue of of policy change mm-hmm. and advocating for policy change. So it's multi level and um, it, it's a it's it, it encompasses a broad community um, level of engagement. From, like I said, at the individual level in the community, all the way through these institutions to um, state and local and um, uh, federal um, uh, 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 legislators.
2: Well, as we begin to wrap up, do you if you have that strategic plan you're working with folks, what's at the top of that list?
1: Well, the, the, the top of the list is to. Um, make sure folks stay excited about research at at Morehouse School of Medicine, and to give them opportunities to expand that research. I think I think one of the um, uh, the major um, uh, issues that we're going to to uh, not issues, but one of the the, the major challenges that that I'm going to face is how do we continue to um, expand our research portfolio, mm-hmm. um, given the um, uh, given the, um, the the number of individuals we have, the number of faculty we have. So we have to expand faculty. So it's a it's a it's a much bigger um, uh, uh, problem that we're going to have to address.
2: Right. Well, welcome to Atlanta. Are you now going to root for the Falcons and the Braves and the Atlanta Dream? <laughs>
1: Yeah, soon. Soon, I guess. We'll see.
2: (laughs) see. Dr. Rick Kittles, now the Senior Vice President for Research at the Morehouse School of Medicine. Thank you so much for taking time. We really appreciate it. Thank you. I say this all the time to all the great institutions here in our region. Thank you for what you all are doing to help so many people who maybe not be able to have quality health care. Thank you. And that's it for this edition of Closer Look. Our producers are LaShawn Hudson, Daniel Razel, and Pat St. Clair. Our engineer is Kevin Rinker. A reminder let us know your thoughts on today's program or any other. Send me an email, rose at wabe.org. And if you missed any of today's program, it's always online because that's where it is wabe.org slash closer look. And of course, Closer Look weeknights at 7 p.m. as well as in our podcast. So subscribe to Closer Look wherever you like, as well as City Lights and Political Breakfast and the tech report, and all that good stuff, and the brief. Stay tuned to 90.1 WABE Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott.